1: It's your call for the best college football coverage from national signing day to the
2: national championship and everything in between CBS sports presents the cover three podcast. All
1: right, guys, welcome into a special edition of the cover three podcast. I know we teased guests uh, earlier in the week and I chatted with this gentleman here uh, on the way home from AFCA uh, when I was in line security at the airport and well, please, please welcome my former colleague, SB Nation, now runs Extra Points, Matt Brown, live from the NCAA convention. Bud, it's it, it's great to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to talk about this stuff with you. Dude, no doubt. I, this is uh, we we got a lot of people coming in here live now. It should be pretty cool. It's a little uh little hangout, probably post lunch break, unless you're uh, lunch breaking with us on the West Coast. We oftentimes do a little East Coast uh, lunch break because I'm East Coast biased. because I live in that time zone. Uh, but now maybe if you guys are on the West Coast taking your lunch break with us, very cool uh, and appreciate that. We'll also post this to the podcast feed probably on Friday. So Matt, uh, you are one of just a few mem- media members there at the
2: NCAA convention. What Can you explain to the audience what this actually is? Yeah, it, it's a great question because I think there's been a little bit of, um, I don't want to say misinformation, but, but maybe jumping to some conclusions about what's actually happening this week. Uh, in Indianapolis, we, we, we have a collection here of all of the NCAA's membership: Division One, Division Two, Division Three. You have ADs, commissioners, presidents, senior women's administrators. All of these people are coming together. Part of that is so various subcommittees can meet. So whether that's the the D1 committee on on football or women's basketball or oversights, you know, you have all of these. You have some professional development opportunities, and then, which is a rarity here, we have a an association wide vote on a new constitution and that that's literally happening right now. I just started uh, about 45 minutes ago. I just left the ballroom where all the the entire membership is, is, is considering a, a proposed new constitution that would remove a lot of authority from Indianapolis and then redelegate that to various divisions. We have a, uh, what's called a transformation committee at the division one level with uh, Ohio university's athletic director and the commissioner of the sec and various other individuals are working together to figure out, well, if we now we don't have to necessarily do the same thing as D2 or D3 for some other things, what do we want division 1 to be? Those are the really big existential questions, but those aren't happening today. Today is where everyone's going to agree upon this this big framework to set up the big fights later on. So how's the vote going to split? Like we expect this
1: thing to pass, it's not a slam dunk to pass, but how will the vote split along party lines?
2: Yeah, you know, as I was leaving right now, I I don't believe the vote is finished. But every single administrator I've spoken to this whole week expected the final vote to be in favor of this new constitution, pretty, pretty substantially. You know, it would pass with over two thirds. Um, The breakdown, though, is pretty significant. As far as we can tell right now, Division One, by and large, very in favor of the proposed changes. Uh, Division Two mostly in favor and then some significant pushback from some uh, portions of division three and that's what we were seeing in the ballroom just as i was leaving uh some of those division three members are upset about this constitution because they want more money they want more they, they as, a, as a division they have the largest uh m- membership in all of the ncaa but they get the least amount of money uh, also they don't generate any money um, you have some that are opposed to this because, in my personal opinion, they're still living in 1922 and they they want to go back to this uh, you know amateur ideal, which very clearly doesn't exist in big time college college sports. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to there's some symbolic gestures against this, as well as some financial and logistical ones. But even if a, a majority of Division three votes against this, which I do not expect, this sh- uh, should still pass, and we should know by exactly how by how in the next hour or so.
1: Awesome. So uh, assuming this passes, uh, n- not that they've made specific rules yet that will differentiate, you know, D1 and the power five and, and D2 and D3. But what what are some of the potential things they, they yes. could do or, or that? are Like, l- let's, let's just kind of tug on the string to its logical end. What, what are some of the things that you might anticipate uh, being proposed by the, the, those people that now have the, the greater powers?
2: Yeah, that that's the great question. And on one hand, if you're somebody, especially like an assistant coach, that's so frustrated by the 300 pages of Byzantine NCAA regulations about when you can text to recruits and what kind of cream cheese you can use. There, there's a lot of interest in just getting rid of most of that stuff and deciding what is it that we can actually enforce? Let's focus on that. And the stuff that we're kind of doing haphazardly or just makes everybody's life harder, let's just not do it anymore and, and assume that things will, will be okay. So there's that's something that could happen at the Division One level. The two big arguments are going to be about how we distribute the money And how we uh, allocate championship access. So I'll give you an example for men's college basketball. Um, I don't think there's any significant pressure right now to separate the power five or power six you want to bring in the Big East from that tournament completely. There is, however, some interest among uh, uh, commissioners and presidents and ADs for these bigger schools to keep more of that money. So maybe we uh, adjust things so now you don't automatically get a, a championship bid if you win your conference. Maybe you only get an NIT bid and you have to be uh, achieve a certain, a certain competitive threshold. Maybe you have play-in games, like right? whoever wins the Colonial might play whoever wins the MIAC, and that team gets a 12 seed rather than automatically playing in. Or you might decide to change... The um, NCAA unit allotment, which is really important for mid and low majors right now, there's no guarantee that that system continues. You also have some other leaders who say, not only do we want to continue that, we want to do it for the women's basketball tournament, too. We want to give people money for making a Final Four or winning multiple games for the women's tournament. That would be more equitable. Uh, so those are, those, are, those are conversations that are going to happen. I, I think particularly in the SEC world, you have a lot of ADs who would say, we want to fully fund softball. We want to fully fund baseball. We are making Scrooge McDuck money right now with our television deal. We have the money to make sure every Arkansas student athlete gets a full scholarship. We, we shouldn't have to do this partial stuff because Hofstra's poor. Uh, and so you might want you might have a world where a conference could decide, rather than the NCAA, how many scholarships you get to have for a sport. And maybe we have two tournaments, um, uh, one for uh, everyone who wants to fully fund Olympic sports and some that want to pursue more of a Division three model. There is... One of the more interesting clauses in this constitution says, "Hey, your division. If you want to make another division within that division, you can. If we want to create a division four, um, for like really big boy college football or some subdivision within how we do D1 sports, if the membership wants it, we could do that. And that's something that I think could be discussed moving forward. So, division four is is that the
1: de facto terminology for what we always hear about, like with the Power Five breaking off in theory?
2: You know, I think potentially, or I mean, I. I don't think from the conversations I've had right now that the, a P5, everybody else split is going to go exactly on, along those lines. And, and part of it, just in terms of pure finances, uh, I think you and I have talked before how nobody really loves this idea of paying an SEC coach $7 million to finish in last place in that division. Sure. And that, that happens. They definitely don't want to do that for a team that's going to go 2-8 and eight because there's no more Western Michigans to play. So there's still a financial uh, incentive to not completely cut off the G5 from whatever big-time college football needs to be because people still need homecoming opponents, and they still want to have a 7-5 and uh, bowl appearance to keep people engaged. But could that be, hey, in the past, the rule for D1 was you had to have a stadium and attendance of a certain size. And you and me and your listeners and God all know no one's enforcing that rule right now. It's all pretty much made up. Maybe they change it. Maybe that maybe the the you know the SEC and the Big Ten get together and say, hey, if you want to play D one football, uh, the highest level of football, you have to sponsor twenty two sports. So if you're poor and you're, you're doing fourteen, that's the benchmark that we have to use, and you can go now into the Division two kind of football. So that might mean it's P five and Missouri Valley teams and some Mountain West teams, and the MAC does something else. Those those things are all are all possible. They, they're being talked through at the moment. Very interesting. So. I. I, I, this
1: is not a basketball podcast, but I do want to kind of double yeah. back to one thing you said, which was potentially if if the P5s get more power, as we think they will with this vote, they could say, eh, we're not going to give money to all these auto bids anymore. In theory, like I have to think just given the amount of revenue that flows to some of these smaller conferences from the NCAA tournament, which is like one of the major revenue drivers for the NCAA, uh, that's got to be something that would kind of hold up conference consolidation in in, in some places like there's some of these like conferences at the lower levels that really overlap each other geographically and it would make sense administratively I think to be in the same league but because if they remain smaller they get the AQ bid money like if that goes away
2: we could see a lot of like down ballot conference shifting right. Uh, I think there is the potential for a ton of conference realignment changes, depending on what happens with this constitution. You know, to, to shift to college football here for a second, this is a question I get a lot from fans of Conference USA teams. You've got nine people in that league right now, and they're wondering when, when they're going to add a tenth or when they're going to do something else. Well, you know, one potential thing that could happen, that could happen, not saying it will, but could, is that this new um, Division I constitution says we're going to have another moratorium. And if you don't have your application to join FBS by June 1st, you have to wait 10 years, which has happened before. And if that happens, well, if you're a school like Kennesaw or maybe a school like Eastern Kentucky that wants to eventually be an FBS institution and you realize, like, oh, crap, if I don't get in the boat now, it's not going to happen. Maybe you jump to Conference USA, whereas maybe you were less interested in doing that six months ago. Um, And I think if you're Conference USA, you might you might selfishly hope for that to get a better pool of FCS candidates than what you have available right now, which is to be honest with everybody, like not that appealing. Um, if you're a, a member of that particular conference. You're right. Yeah. There could be consolidation around, around a Q bids. There can be consolidation to, to change things with travel, to split things up, to, to change the size of the postseason for some of these things. If, if you're a fan of Florida state, probably nothing that happens in the next couple of months is going to dramatically change your experience as a fan. If you're an assistant coach at Florida State, it might, but not if you're a fan. But if you're a fan of an FCS team or a one AAA team, one of these D1 schools that doesn't have football, or maybe a a, a lower-level G5 team, this could be a big friggin' deal to what happens with your program for the next decade. For sure. Uh, So
1: shifting to some changes that – well, also, I guess if you work for Florida State or work for one of those P5 schools and they throw away a lot of the unnecessary – uh, rules and regulations if you work in compliance and your your job is to chart how much cream cheese everybody's allowed to get uh and I, i'm not using cream cheese metaphorically like that used to be a thing it's like sure you did. didn't have more than x number of condiments or is cream cheese a condiment probably not but uh like you, accoutrements to, to to your bagel sure uh, if you work in you know in, in compliance there uh that's that's probably not something that uh, that you want to see
2: necessarily, but you may be in charge of other compliance issues as well. That, that's honestly, that's exactly it. And I've talked to so many compliance people that have, that have, who still like believe in the NCAA. They're like, I pray to God that this rule book gets smaller because nobody goes to law school and takes one of these jobs because they want to be the cream cheese priest. Right. right. And the hope is, hey, if my compliance job gets easier, I could spend more time on NIL. Or I could spend more time being a sport administrator or taking on other duties and potentially become an athletic director, which that used to be the, the pipeline to becoming an AD was to go get a laws, a JD and, and go through compliance. And now it's, a, it's shifted a little bit more to a finance and the development background. But I don't I, I mean, I've, I've heard people say, like, I would rather not have an APR. I would rather not have to tell my assistant coach that you can only text on Thursday and not on Friday. And we have to go look up what we can do on TikTok or anything. Real grownups who get into this business for anything resembling the right reasons, they don't want to deal with this stuff. Um, if, if, if the world shifted where that became less of what they were focused on, I think you would not see very many school based complaints.
1: And, and I would have to think that some of these rules, uh, certainly have come from p five schools, but some of them have also come from some of your smaller schools that mm-hmm. saw somebody taking advantage of something or just doing something in a new way and realizing they didn't necessarily have the funds uh, to, to execute that new plan and thus they got all their other un- underfunded schools together and passed a rule that said you can't do this which I think underscores the point like wh- whether or not you think it's good to pass the constitution uh there's certainly it is weird that we have these schools some of which have budgets of 150 million and some of which have budgets of like 15 million governed largely under the same structure like they're not even really playing the same game some of
2: them actually are doing the Am- amateur model you know <laughs> No, you're you're uh, you're absolutely right. And this 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 is they're talking about this in the ballroom and uh, there it's it's a reoccurring theme here. And the only it's a, it's weird because literally everybody in Indianapolis right now would say college sports is not super healthy. And the majority of those problems are with division one. It does not make sense to take gigantic R1 Carnegie's flagship research institutions, places that have billion dollar endowments, people that can do whatever the heck it is Texas A&M is doing and recruiting right now. People who are di- clearly playing professional football college wise and have them be in the same uh, a- a legislative body as Akron, who is doing this to keep to get men on campus to go to school or some of these uh, you know private institutions that have uh, 3000 students like what Valparaiso is doing. And what North Dakota state is doing and Ohio state is doing are not the same sport. The, 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 difficult thing now is then figuring out what are the, what are the fair lines to draw to give people better competitive experiences and better financial experiences. And I think that's going to be acrimonious, but it's a conversation that really does need to happen. Right. And, and then you'll, you'll really
1: kind of figure who wants in and who wants out yeah. once the lines have been drawn. Um, uh, so some things that are not necessarily included in, in the constitution, but perhaps could be, uh, Enacted in different ways d- down the line. Uh, I just wanted to run some things by you to see what yeah. you've heard on the administrator side, because I was just at AFCA talking to a lot of these coaches. And one of the things that came up uh, that I, I spoke with a coach who's on the competition committee uh, about, and I think it's called the competition committee, it, it, the, 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 the rules committee, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, was the idea of guys having to sit out until the end of a series if they are injured and require help to get off the field. This is sort of the hey go down lay down rule. Proposal is that something that has come up there at all?
2: You know, a couple of the football rules did. There's there is um I would say that athletic directors and presidents also check Twitter. They're aware that there is broad uh disagreement and frustration with targeting. That there's broad disagreement and frustration with um, some, some recruiting calendar situations. I I know that the football oversight committee spent a lot of time talking about transfer windows. Um, but what I could tell you, like what actually was legislated and agreed upon based on like that four hour meeting with football oversight, it could, you could fit it in one tweet. It was basically two small adjustments to spring practice. So whether that's get down, stay down, uh, whether that, or I think a bunch of other things that happen on the field, I don't know if anyone's ready to, to turn that over, which is funny that we kind of juxtapose what we were just talking about. If everyone's saying the world's on fire, we got to make these big changes. Let's go get in the conference room for four hours. And we come up with, we're not going to do full contact spring practice two days in a row. And that's it. I, you can understand why if you're a coach, you would, you would turn in and go, I am disconnected from this legislative process. Like this, this is not a way that can produce outcomes that affect my athletes and my job. You know what I mean?
1: For sure. Is there a second, uh, window, uh, to pass some of these rules later in the summer, even if they're not brought up you know, th- th- this week. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm kind of wondering like, did they not wanna bring up specifics in order to maybe not screw up the vote and, and start to have some of these more extreme ideas that maybe might turn some yeses into some noes and just eyes on the prize now to make sure they get enough yes votes to pass this thing.
2: It, 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 this, this is a good question. And this is one of the things I'm trying to kind of get a, a little more clarity about over the coming weeks. Um, there are of course league spring meetings and there are other things that can be passed up to oversight committees. It's not the only vote of the year, but I do think that there was some reticence to really embrace some of the more transformational football challenges until they know what division one looks like, because you don't want to, you know, necessarily say this week, all right, I see what D one's doing for targeting. And then in may suddenly three quarters of those teams aren't D one anymore, or, or, or things change up significantly. And then you have to go redo that. So they're talking through it, but I, um, I, I, I'd be a little surprised if there were really sweeping rule changes for football to happen before this season. Gotcha. That, that makes sense. Um, yeah. You got to pull the permits for, before you build the house.
1: What, you, uh, uh, yeah. And Chicago, maybe you don't, but in other well, places, yeah, that's a yeah, legend. You, you are Chicago based and yeah. you do a lot of your own construction. So uh, if, if you guys, if you're doing an unauthorized addition to the house, we, yeah. we won't discuss that. You, you make uh, a donation somewhere, right?
2: It's kind of, kind of the same thing here. We, 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 have, we have a
1: different booster culture up here in the Big Ten. Chicago, by the way, by way of your favorite South American country. Right. Um, so you did mention like, Hey, maybe by May, we'll, we'll know who's in division. Is that just, that's just you throwing it hypothetically. I, I don't want people at home to think, Hey, like in May,
2: we're going to have, have bright lines of who's in and who's out. Or do you yeah. think it could happen that fast? It, it, it could potentially. The, the, I, I want to say that the transformation committee should begin to, to release some concrete um, recommendations and then begin to talk through that process as early as this spring. It could be early summer, but like sometime between March and June is when this stuff's supposed to come out. And I don't think it's going to get ratified and turned around in six weeks or anything. Um, but when you talk to ADs, whether they're at Ohio State or Ohio Dominican right now, there's still some, uh, you, you, you can speculate, you might have some informed, educated guesses, but you don't have anything con- concrete yet. You know, the Constitution that, that's being voted on now was, I want to say, first proposed in like uh, in November. It took three months to kind of turn that around. I think you're looking at an absolute minimum of that time frame from here's what Greg Sankey's proposed to what we're ready to actually uh, enable. Awesome. So even though we're not
1: uh, you know we're not necessarily going to get a vote on it this year, and we think a lot of the rules for this fall are are likely going to just r- remain static. Uh, I do want to kind of pick your brain on some of these other things that, that mm-hmm. at least that the coaches were uh, were griping about. Uh, And in fairness to the coaches, some of the guys who have been head coaches for longer that I I spoke with down there told me like, these are things you're going to hear us yelling about. Cause I asked questions, what are you going to yell about? And what do you actually think you can get past? And there's like, "Eh, (laughs) that's there's a big difference. Uh, Number one is the transfer window stuff. Uh, Clearly coaches don't like the transfer portal. You don't hear a whole lot of complaining from coaches about how coaches just jump jobs all the time, including like before seasons are, are even done. Uh, they don't seem to like hate their own freedom of movement uh, lack of regulations but they want some freedom of movement regulations on the transfer uh, portal which i've been told like they want a, a window post yeah. you know post the season and then a window post spring and if you don't jump at one of those two times you're basically you know on on the roster they want some roster certainty and the example given to me was hey i'm out here trying to knock out these official visits before before or these in-home visits before signing day uh, and then I had to fly back to campus because one of my running backs was going to leave and I had to go put that fire out, which I sympathize with to an extent, but also I mean, some of these guys make millions of bucks to be assistants and would be making like $60,000 to coach high school if they weren't in this field. So, you know, it kind of comes with the job, I guess. What, what are you hearing from administrators on, on that side? Is that something they think eventually they'll they will get past or are they scared about putting a on the people that they you know, so desperately try to claim or not employees?
2: It's a great question. And uh, we, Adam Rittenberg and I from ESPN actually staked out that over the football committee on the first day, we grabbed Sandy Barber from Penn State, who is the, uh, the the head of that uh, committee, you know, afterwards, and that's what I asked about. Uh, And she told me that there really is some, I I think, I believe the exact word was real, real enthusiasm. Among administrators to address this, and that they felt that they had the legislative authority to potentially do this rather than wait for potential litigation. And the way that she framed it to me was interesting because it was that she's like, you know, we, we, we liberalized transfer rules in part to address individual needs of athletes. I, I feel like you and I would probably agree on that. Maybe many of your listeners would too. That you know, coaches aren't subject to these kind of rules. You want to be able to go and and uh, chase the opportunity that works best for you. But 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 Barbara also mentioned. That there's also an a- athlete, not, not coach or administrator, but athlete needs as part of a collective. If you are a running back right now on co- for college, you also want some roster certainty, right? You want to understand as you're trying to figure out what you want to do next year, who's going to be in that room with you? What kind of team that you're, you're, that you're going to have? Uh, if you're if you're a quarterback and you, you kind of want to know that if your linemen are going to be sticking around before you make your own plans. And so I, I think the way that she framed it, it, and honestly, this does make some sense to me. It's in everybody's best interest if you can have some level of clarity, just like we do with other levels of sports. I don't know the bylaw rules well enough today to tell you exactly how they might do that. But I would say that is an idea that has currency beyond just football coaches. I think that, make, that makes some sense. By the way, breaking news here. Uh, Matt, you have some breaking news for us. I, I do. Uh, this, as of just a second ago here, it is official. The NCAA has, in fact, approved. Membership did approve the Constitution. Looks like it was over 80% uh, yes vote. Uh, I, I just I just tweeted the press release here from Matt Brown, E.P., uh, but that would track with everything that we heard this week. We, I definitely know some Division Three people didn't like it. Uh, they got They got some claps when they when they got uh, you know mad online about it in the ballroom. but um, that 18 page PDF is going to be the new
1: NCAA Constitution. Turns out if you let FCS and D2 keep their money, they'll vote for you and D3 can yell and holler, but you don't need hundred percent approval uh, for this thing to pass.
2: That's, that's, uh, that's exactly right. The, this is what Oberlin's job is in higher education is to complain about these kind of things. And that's great. Good for Oberlin. For sure.
0: The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance,
1: We'll take some listener questions here in a yeah. second if, if you're down for it. The other one I wanted to run by you is yeah. very much process-oriented. Well, I guess I got two more. Uh, the early signing period. Um, we now have five of these under our belt. I don't love this. I mean, selfishly, I would rather push back to the regular one for content purposes. It would give us more stuff to talk about in February. Right. <laughs> and I don't think it's great for the sport to have all of its action in December. But also, this has like bastardize the hiring and firing process to where you, you used to not fire a coach in October unless it was for cause. You know, he he did something like legitimately bad probably off field. Yeah. Not just, but now we're seeing guys routinely fired in October to you know get a jump on the hiring process. And I think it's because how damn bad these first signing classes are that schools are signing because they don't have any time to scout it out. Yeah. Hey, do you you're, think they can you're, get you're, a push you're... back?
2: The, the, that 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 you're, you're exactly right on that, and that's it's the same thing. Um, There are some things in this world, I think you and I would agree, that coaches complain about, and their bosses go, "Mm-hmm, yep, I, I totally yep. understand." I then immediately ignore them. I think a very common one example of that would be coaches complaining about their apparel, athletic apparel contracts. If a coach goes up to their AD and says, "We need to be a Nike school. We're losing out on kids because of that," their coach is going to say, "Like, no, that's my job. Like, you 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 compete in the socks that I give you, and you like it." But on, on this kind of thing, it, it makes sense for everybody to be invested because you're right. It, it doesn't just hurt um, your performance on the field. It creates a perverse set of incentives for schools to waste a lot of money, whether it's donor money or their own money and ditching a guy in October. It's bad for the athletes, because even if you do this and you nail that first class, you're going to lose 15 dudes to the portal. Uh, you, right. you are, people have to leave early to figure out their, their own futures. You're going to lose a class either way. Um, and everybody ends up wasting more money. So I don't believe there's a consensus at the moment between do we consolidate the the signing day periods and just do everything in February again? Do we make the first early signing period way earlier, maybe before the season to allow a junior who just really wants to go to that particular school and get in the boat to do it? Do we do we push the one in February back? I don't I don't think there's consensus there. There's the the one thing I was hearing from a couple other like G5 ads was we feel like we need more data. but the data that we have on this current system right now, would definitely support the idea that this isn't the best way to do it. There, there were more, I mean, I, I get Greg Senke was right. There were significant unintended consequences of those two signing periods, even if it was a net benefit for athlete flexibility.
1: I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the, the, the justification that they gave when they were trying to pass this initially, if, if I recall, was essentially, we don't want kids to be texted over, over over their you know holiday season, right? Like a lot of these guys know where they're gonna go, they want to get the process over with, blah, 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 blah. I think the real reason was that coaches did not want to have to babysit their mid-years over the holiday season and wanted to have an actual break, which I can sympathize with, obviously. Sure. But I want an actual know, break too. I get it. Breaking right.
2: over Christmas sucks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And they didn't want to have to do that. So I think that's probably it wouldn't shock me if administrators are more on board with pushing this back than coaches are. Because the coaches I talk to are kind of split. Some of them, I think, see the issue that it causes in the sport, especially those who have gone through a quick signing day like who have been hired somewhere now, which is yep. a lot of them with five of these under our belt. Uh, but some of them clearly don't want to keep, as it was put to me, I don't want to babysit
2: my mid-years, yeah. meaning the guys who are going to enroll in January. No, they don't want to do that either. Uh, but, uh, yeah, to, again, to go back, I don't, there's not a consensus about, I mean, e- even if there's a, maybe a, maybe not a super majority, but a majority of people that say, I don't love this current system. I don't think there's a majority to say, let's do one in August. Let's do them both in February. Let's do one in November. Like I don't, I, they have to haggle about it some more. I, I, again, the consequence of having a gigantic division one membership is that all these things take forever because just there's, there's it's hard to get a consensus among 130 plus institutions. Right um i want to take this one from eric
1: smith because i sure. i think you do a great job of pointing out you know process uh eric writes uh and co- this is in response to our discussion on the transfer portal how coaches leave and uh, eric writes that coaches pay to leave players can have the same signed contracts if you want to break it pay i i know what i would say to this i just you know i, I talk a lot so
2: I, yeah. what, what would you say to this i would say eric i understand that the, that point of view but the difference between the coaches and the players is the coaches are employees And employees can sign contracts and they're given um, wages and they have benefits. They could potentially collectively bargain if they wanted to. They have access to a a bunch of other um, ways to address grievances that an athlete doesn't. And so if, if we go down a road and we may very well do this because the courts may make it that say athletes are employees. And if that's what happens, this is exactly what those contracts will look like. And then there'll be a free agency period and players will have to pay buyouts and they'll have to move around. But because... Everybody in that ballroom right now is very adamantly saying these are students. And I don't know if you transferred when you were in school, Eric, but, you know, when I did, I didn't have to pay my first university anything because students can just go wherever they want. Um, and, and any attempt to change that without changing their employee status would end up in court within six hours and it wouldn't be enforceable.
1: Yeah, the whole non-competes on people that we are really desperately trying to fight in court to say are not employees, like courts don't look. Really, finally, on Naga Peets. They definitely don't look finally on
2: Naga Peets on people that you, <laughs> claim you are claiming yeah. are not employees. Uh, I, I, I will say this uh, there, there is one exception, and that would be for Service Academy athletes who are, have, been, uh, have been enrolled for several years past their commission date. And oh, there, right. I do believe you actually do have to give Uncle Sam a check if you're like a senior and you decide, I don't want to be at the Air Force anymore. I, I really want to go do something else. But that's a special case.
1: They also have a special case of unlimited
2: scholarships as well. They do. And they, they can't they, take NIL money, if I remember correctly. So, like, if you want to make every athlete a troop, well, you know, I, I guess we could do that too, but that might have some different issues.
1: Let's uh, let's take this one. I think it's pretty yeah. fun. Uh, from Jackson King. He writes, uh, is there a chance these changes cause football rules to change at each level? Expensive helmet uh, communications at D1 and no targeting at lower levels without replay, potentially. So, so I, I know this has been brought up before. Mm-hmm. Some of these staffs would like to be able to communicate NFL style with their quarterback or whoever they designate on defense, but I don't think that, that has ever been approved.
2: And my guess is because of the cost, right? You know, I, I know it's funny. I, I heard that that is definitely part of it. Um, also, if if you are a coach at a school that maybe uh, has done a good job of stealing signals, not to pick any school an example like Clemson or anything, but like hypothetically, if you were that kind of school – you want people to still have to use signals so you can steal them. And if you have to put everything in the helmet, then um, you lose some of your competitive advantage. So even, even regardless of cost, there's it's, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a consensus to do that. But I'll, I'll give you an example of actually one that was proposed right now, and I think it gets voted on tomorrow, that um, at the Division One level, the, one of the reasons that many schools don't have full contact, like game-conditioned scrimmages is because you don't have enough healthy linemen. Um, And it's putting in a couple of walk on versus uh, some full scholarship players over four quarters might be a health risk Just people are transferring. They're getting hurt. They're not ready to play yet. Um, Ohio State obviously has to do this, but it's not, it's not a shock that maybe Virginia doesn't. And this is, you can imagine a bigger issue at FCS and division two and division three levels where you have even fewer scholarship players. So there was a proposal this cycle to allow division two schools to hold spring scrimmages against other schools. That, like, literal inter-squad scrimmages, and the reason for it was not for money. They weren't going to broadcast these or anything, but for for safety. Like, their thinking was, like, look, I literally only have nine good offensive linemen on my roster anyway. I know Grand Valley State has nine, Ferris State has nine, let's go play together. Um, I don't think that one is expected to pass, but a lot of schools proposed it. And that might be an example of something that that you might potentially see moving down the line. And it it may not like are you maybe intuitively you would think inter squad scrimmage in the spring, that sounds like an SEC idea. I think, you know, they'd love to be able to bring uh Jacksonville State to play Alabama in, in March and sell ninety thousand tickets. But it actually in practice might be a better idea at D two and D three. So those are those are some things we could definitely see. I, I like that actually. That that is uh that's a really cool idea. That's that, 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 That's what I thought too. Like, it was, Even if it doesn't pass, you have to give credit for people thinking outside the box, especially I think in my opinion, for something that would improve the experience of an athlete um, that isn't necessarily driven by money. I'm I'm, I'm always going to try to support that at EP for sure. Uh, by the way, uh, EP
1: Matt mentioned, I, I have it on the bottom scroll, but if you are one of the podcast listeners, not one of the YouTube, uh, ExtraPointsMB.com, ExtraPointsMB.com. I read Matt's Extra Points newsletter every morning. It's like my way of keeping up on the industry. He covers stuff that really just nobody else out there covers. And like he does talk D1 football. He also talks D2 football and D3 and basketball, which is how I'm going to segue into our next question. You should definitely subscribe to to his newsletter. It's excellent. Um, Thank you. So uh, Seth Varnador writes, any possibility of D1 basketball and football no longer no longer being tethered in the future? Could a program have D1 basketball in a lower division football program?
2: This is a good one, too. And I asked a bunch of Division II people about that this week, because uh, my, my hotel here in Indy is where all the D2 folks are. And I think there's a real possibility that this could happen for Olympic sports. Um, and we see this actually a little bit right now. Like, I think um, MIT is a Division three school. that have a D1 rowing program. The Rochester Institute of Technologies, Division three, they have a Division I hockey program that's pretty decent. You have a couple of these in baseball and soccer and stuff, but you don't have it for football and basketball. And, when, and D3 when, is non-scholarship. That's correct. So okay. that yeah. that means that MIT can't offer uh, rowing scholarships, but they still compete at D1, or the, the, the RIT hockey team can't do scholarships. Um, that might change this week. But anyway, what, what, what D2 and D3 leaders have told me so far is, we really wouldn't be in favor of that happening for football and basketball untethering because just like at Division one, conference alignment decisions are driven by football. That's the same thing for D2 and D3. And at D1 you can get away with having a conference that spreads across the entire country because you can you can still afford to charter even if you're a conference USA team you can charter your football team but you can't do that if you're Kenyan or if you're, even if you're Mary Harden Baylor or, or, or one of these smaller institutions. So you want to make sure that you have as geographically tight or a league as you can. Um, so that I think would make things difficult for the revenue sports for football and basketball, but it would make a lot of sense for other Olympic sports to, to decouple those or allow people to have the, the ability to play up or down a level to save money on travel or for something that makes sense. And I, I would say that there would be some division one and two interest in doing that. For baseball or volleyball or, or hockey, uh, kind of spinning off this, I, I want to go something
1: back to something we talked about in like minute four or five, the possibility of some of the Power Five schools being able to fund uh, if they choose, like one hundred percent of scholarships for right. some of their Olympic sports. And uh, I don't know for, for purposes of this example, I, I want to go ahead and call baseball and hockey Olympic because they're non yeah. like they're non traditional revenue, right? Uh, So in the ACC specifically, I think you would see some teams that would probably choose to fully fund baseball. uh, Miami, Florida State, Georgia Tech, likely, uh, I would think.
2: And women's soccer too, I think.
1: Yes, exactly. And then there are some that would choose not to. I don't think Boston College would fully fund baseball if I had to guess, but they would probably want to fully fund their hockey program, which is very good. Uh, Is that something that you think is going to be possible or do you have to be all in or all out?
2: Yeah, that that's a little bit hard to speculate on, just because we don't. I mean, there, there's, we're, we're kind of building a, a hypothetical off a hypothetical. And I, I would say it, it's not impossible, and, and Boston College I think would be a good example because they've traditionally been one of the holdouts to spending big money on, on a lot of these kind of things. Um, I think it would be logistically easier, and I've had administrators say it would be easier to make these decisions on a conference level rather than a specific institution level. But you could theoretically decide to do it saying, all right, you're as an institution, you need to still be Title IX compliant in the number of men's and women's scholarships that you fund. You're required to fully fund a minimum of exports to be considered a D1 institution. How you want to split that up across sports is up to you. That is a thing that that could potentially happen. I think that that would be liberating to some mid-majors because if you are, say, a a Sunbelt team, um, you can you can be a national power in college baseball. Um, You can, and and, and, I mean, Marshall won the men's soccer tournament not that long ago. Santa Clara won it uh, last year, made the final four this year. BYU was in the women's soccer final, I think, against Florida State, uh, if I remember right. So that might actually improve championship access if you can pick or choose and decide, like, we really want to push our chips in for this particular thing, which may be a way to kind of haggle and give the P5 a little bit more autonomy and let the the G5 AAA schools have some dignity. We'll see what that ends up you know, looking like.
1: So that the championships w- would potentially, like you could play, uh, if you're Boston College, your team could play in the full scholarship hockey national championship tournament, but then your baseball team could play in the partial scholarship uh, national title. So it would be interesting because like, at that point, you're not really – like D1 baseball versus D2 baseball versus FCS, or not FCS baseball, but like, you see what I'm saying here? There, there's, yeah. there's a real mixing of divisions there, almost that, along the lines of, of who's funded and who's not, which technically it is now, I guess, you know, just
2: less mixing. Yeah, that, yeah that's, it's entirely possible. Um, and Boston College might decide, it's better for our branding to be a non-scholarship program, but compete in the scholarship one because you want to be around peer institutions rather than letting people think that we're we're peers to Holy Cross, even if, even though that's what we're spending on. And, and that could be their decision too. That is, uh, I don't think that's settled right now, but I, I would expect that to be a, a major point of contention and 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 changing what these these postseason tournaments look like moving forward.
1: Uh, this one comes from Cameron. Cameron asks, uh, which I, I think we kind of touched on this early on, but uh, obviously people join at different times. Uh, Cameron writes, do you believe the P5 slash P6, P6 is basketball for those of you all who uh, who don't know with, with uh, the Big East, uh, will push for additional money from the NCAA tournament since the
2: NCAA gets such a large amount from it now? Yeah, I, I think that that is almost a given. Uh, and there's a couple of different ways they could do that. They could do that by changing the Division I uh, unit payout formula. They could do that by changing the criteria where at-large bids are distributed. Um, you can do that by expanding the NCAA tournament, which um, I don't know how any of you might feel about that. I think that sucks, and I think a lot of other fans are kind of ambivalent about it, but I've heard multiple uh, administrators this week say, yeah, the future might be it's an 85-team tournament or a 96-team tournament, um, and then we just skew things so a team that goes 6-10 and 10 in ACC play can still get in. There's a couple of different ways that you can shift more of the money and power to the big schools without making it look like that's what you're doing. But I would imagine that's going to be a, a virtual guarantee of the next couple of months. Matt,
1: uh, one thing I want to ask you about, this is not really from the, uh, from the listener or the audience. We really do appreciate the audience, obviously, hanging out with us twice live <laughs> in, in one day. Uh, NIL, we had an interesting conversation your in point. I'm not sure how much you're free to share Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen to schools potentially, uh, that are trying to pose NIL and double dip it as charity? Yeah. <laughs> let, 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 the chopper spread You, you, you
2: had some real, uh, you had some real takes on this. When, yeah. when I was on let the me, day. um, let me think of that. So I, I can tell you that this is something I plan to write about more in extra points. Uh, not this week because of, of the NCAA convention, but, but hopefully soon. Um, I, I, very broadly speaking, I don't think the NCAA is a regulatory body that is equipped to do very much about NIL right now. They can ask some questions, they can open a perfunctory investigation, but I, that would not be who I would be worried about if I was a, a school, maybe coloring outside the lines a little bit. I would be worried about the IRS, uh, and, and I think some of these NIL arrangements, that are under the that are, are purportedly for charity and are asking uh, organ- business organizations to contribute charitable donations that will be then given to athletes to promote other charitable causes. I think that uh, a, a tax organization or enforcement agency would look at that and say that's not charity. Um, and there's a big incentive if you're a very rich person to want to make your nil bag drop tax deductible through as a charity rather than as a business expense, which might not be the same deduction. It's gonna involve a lot more paperwork, a lot more oversight, and that would be my concern. The other potential concern is that even though the IRS is a federal agency, a lot of the nonprofit governance regulation happens at the state level. So theoretically, if you were in a state where the flagship program was engaged in a highly public, maybe a little bit sloppy NIL charity or uh, entity, and the attorney general of your state happened to attend a rival institution, and it's a place where uh, you know that kind of political enforcement wouldn't be uh, out of place. Maybe I would be concerned, and uh, I think you don't have to be Encyclopedia Brown to figure out maybe what state I'm talking about. Uh, so, so th- th- those are those are things I think I'll be worried about for the IRS, for uh, businesses, for universities, and also honestly for athletes, especially those first three months. When nobody really had any idea what compliance was, was supposed to do here, and I don't think people were sending out W-9s, and there's going to be a couple of people that suddenly realize, oh, crap, that truck that I got, even though nobody gave me any cash, but that truck that's worth $75,000, that's a taxable asset, and I'm going to have to report that. and I I have to go give cash now, and there's going, there's, there's going to be some athletes, I think, that are going to be very surprised um, come March and April about what their new financial situation is going to look like. For sure.
1: And I I think the schools that are smart about this, to the extent that they are allowed to do so under their individual state laws, which is an an issue as well, because like the state laws vary quite a bit, uh, need to be as proactive as they can about educating your guys. Hey, uh, like compliance generally goes around and looks at what people are driving. Like that's kind of one of the things if if you read Mm -hmm. some of the old Miss reports, right? um, the, The loaner car for for a long time type thing they usually know what their kids are driving. Like if you're driving a 75000 dollars truck at some point compliance has to communicate to its NIL folks. Hey, like we need to make sure, you know, that that Johnny knows that he's going to have to pay taxes on that. Even if it's not a, uh, not not a cash-based transaction, but this is kind of classic pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, right? Okay. You do it. You funnel a bunch of money via NIL to players. Cool. You do it as a charity. Maybe fly a little
2: too close to the sun. Right. You and I both know that uh, there is an underground economy to support what athletes. Right. I I know. Right. That most institutions are taking part of on some level. And there is a code and there are established practices. And if you get extremely sloppy and very public. Chances are something is going to happen, whether that's the NCAA, whether that's the law of the jungle. I, I, I don't know. Right. And I think we've seen schools that flew a little bit too close to the sun and, and displayed a little bit too much hubris and how they were, uh, what's the term you like to use? I think it's like recruiting for keeps, right? Playing to win. Play for recruiting. keeps, yeah. Yeah, I, we're going to see that with NIL too. I don't know exactly which badge is going to be the one handing out punishments, but there will be a badge. You know, it's always like, hey, you can go eighty five,
1: maybe you can go ninety. This is not legal advice on on, on the interstate. <laughs> exactly. But but if you're ripping one hundred thirty five, they're going to get the they're going to get the chopper up, they're going to get this you know the, the speed yeah. strip or the six strips out and and uh, and and have a real uh, real look at that. So I, I, yeah, I think that's, I, I think you're, you're the point you made to me in the airport on that was was great. I'm glad glad we got to bring that up again here. Uh, <laughs> We have a, a question here about St. Thomas. This is really in your wheelhouse. So, St. Right. Thomas, right. let's,
2: go talk, let's go talk about Tommy's here. One second. Yeah. All right. So, our by
1: Thomas, the way, guys, uh, make sure to like and subscribe to our channel uh, for sure if you can and turn on those notifications. If you don't have notifications on, you might not know that today's show got bumped uh, from one to three o'clock, which actually worked out great because it was post vote. Um, and Matt is not frozen. He was just doing being very stoic. Cool. So the question here about St. Thomas, uh, shot round or short round, excuse me, uh, asks: So St. Thomas made the jump from D three to D one. How are they able to do this? Uh, and is there any possibility of seeing more major, uh, more major jumps
2: like this in the next fifteen years? Hey, listen, that is a great question, and you're right. That's extra points as all hell. This is exactly the kind of story that we track here. So for those who are unfamiliar with with St. Thomas, it's a school in Division three institution or was a Division three institution in uh, Minnesota. And they were booted out of their league in Division Three in large part for just kicking too much ass. They, they, they were one of the dominant programs in that league, and they were winning by 50, 60 points in conference play all of the time. A lot of people's feelings got hurt. Um, it wasn't just because they were beating everybody so badly. The, the, their institutional profile was also changing, too. A typical Division Three school is generally a liberal arts institution with an enrollment between two and 5,000. And St. Thomas now has graduate programs. It has, I I believe, it started a business school and its enrollment was approaching 10. Uh, And a a 10,000-person school uh, near a major city that uh, is continuing to grow, that looks more like a D1 school. Um, And so when they got kicked out of their league and no one else wanted to affiliate with them, um, they were able to get a special waiver. Typically, you have to go D3, D2, D1. Um, But because of these extenuating circumstances, they, they moved up. Um, and have been, you know, they were very competitive in, in Pioneer League football at D1 their, their first year. It's non-scholarship. Um, and if they wanted to eventually become a scholarship program, I, I think there would be leagues wanting to take them. The, the 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 issue here isn't that there's not a potential pathway for D3 to go directly to D1 is that there just aren't very many other schools like St. Thomas, um, even Division three schools that are, are very successful, like a like a Mount Union, um, doesn't really fit the institutional profile of a Division one school. And a lot of these D3 schools, it's important to them that they not offer any scholarships because they're literally just trying to get men to show up on campus and pay tuition. Uh, even like Mountain Union, it's able to roll out a roster of like 110 people, uh, many of whom could play on Mac teams. That's part of their way to keep the school in business, Like that, that's uh, which is becoming a harder thing in that part of the country. So like the only one I can really think of off the top of my head would be Johns Hopkins. Who I don't think is going to be a Division One institution. They already play Division One, the cross. They have Division One endowment. They have Division One uh, institutional size and a school budget. And if they wanted to, like join the Colonial Athletic, yeah, they could. And, and they could go directly from D three to D one. I don't think they want to. Um, and I don't think there are many other schools like St. Thomas that would want to make that jump. And Johns Hopkins is
1: not really at the risk of being kicked out. I don't think.
2: N- no, no, yeah, they're right. they're 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 gonna be fine. Nice. Yeah,
1: uh, Matt. What what do we have coming
2: up this this week? Obviously, one more day this week, and then next week on EP. Oh, that's, that's a great question, so uh, I think I think today we're going to try to wrap up everything that we've been hearing and and uh, share the last bit of information we have about what the, the next kind of legislative fights are going to look like. Um, I've got uh, a couple of stories coming up here about mid-major conference realignment, a lot of that's happening in the Northeast, that's been a beat that I, I've tried to to stake out. Um, so if you care about FCS football or mid-major basketball, I want to know what's happening with the uh, the MAC or the NEC or the America East, Like you you want to stay tuned. Um, and we, we have, a, a, I think, a couple other kind of in-the-weed stories that are interesting, where, where we talk to some tax professors and uh, accountants and professionals about what's happening in the, in the NIL space. Um, we have uh, a, a couple of other interviews with, uh, with athletic administrators about uh, what schools are, are going to be doing here. And then, um, you know, hopefully, I've been saying this, man, for like 18 months, but it's just like, as soon as the news cycle slows down for a second, and then we can start kind of doing some fun or some weird things. Um, that, that's my hope too. So if you, if you've been in here for an hour and you're like, you know, I, I, I'm glad we got bud and everybody here to let me know, um, who, which, which kids are going where and what assistant coaches are, are doing. That's interesting on the chalkboard. If you want to know how your school makes money and what it's doing to stay in business, um, and how all that fits together, you might like extra points. I, I think everybody really, really should enjoy it. Um, I like, look, sign
1: up
0: for the free version.
2: And yeah. if you like it a lot, which I do get the paid version. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I welcome the free people too. our podcast is free. And if you are a current university student, I could I can usually give you a discount because um, this, which is which is wild. As somebody that graduated with a B minus from Ohio State, a lot of sports management departments and like big schools use extra points as like part of their curriculum. Um, you could read Sports Business Journal, which is wonderful, but it's written for a 64 year old. Uh, or you can read um, similar con- you know content that's written from somebody that clearly used to work at SB Nation. Um, that's, that's 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 a little bit a little bit more accessible right like the, the example that i like to give one of my favorite things that we did even though we do a lot of of kind of serious professional industry coverage you know after the Mayo bowl which everybody on the internet seemed to love right we're dumping the, the mail on the the winning coach we went out and we 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 got some math professors to figure out all right how much of each other bowl sponsor product can we fit in a 10 gallon jug and then how much would it cost to dump out? So how many PlayStations can we fit in this thing? How many cheez its And then we even if I could like in the military bowl, we got a military contractor to tell us like how many missiles could fit one of those jugs and exactly how much they charge the federal government for one of those things. Like taking something stupid very, very seriously, that's what we do. Um, and and I hope that's something that you guys find interesting too. No doubt. Matt, really appreciate the time and uh perfect timing
1: today. Really, really excited well also also you know, to, to listen to your show as well
2: um this is gonna be fun i, I yeah. appreciate it yeah th- th- thanks brother it's it's, o- it's always good to be on here um i'm, I'm glad to see you're doing well and I, I appreciate the chance to chat you too give the fan the best all right yeah just same, same to you take care y'all